If you got your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation this morning. It's a good, exciting book to go into on a Sunday morning. Amen? Revelation. <laughs> uh, I want to, just as you're turning there, we're going to do kind of a, one of the techniques that I teach for studying the book of Revelation is, and, and one of these days I'll, I'll write a book. You might hear me say this. I'm writing a book. You'll hear me say that a lot. I've got about 20 books I'm writing. Okay, uh, one day I'm actually going to write the book, amen? A, let me restate. I've got a book I would love to write one day. And if I can ever get written, one of the books I'd like to write is a book on Revelation, and it's going to be titled Revelation by the Numbers. Uh, if you study the book of Revelation, if you're confused and overwhelmed by Revelation, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you a little technique. Look for the numbers that are used and repeated in the book of Revelation. Look for the number of times that a word or a concept is presented in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not into numerology. I don't do numerology or astrology or any of those spiritual, supernatural type things. Amen. I read my Bible. Amen. And there are numbers in the Bible, and numbers in the Bible have significance. We know that because the Bible tells us when it uses certain numbers what those numbers mean. Amen. So just let the Bible teach itself to you. And uh, when you read the book of Revelation, one of the things you'll find is numbers are repeated. And certain things are repeated a certain number of times. Well, I'm going to go ahead and this morning go ahead and tell you that what we're going to look at this morning are the seven blessings of Revelation. Now, say we're going to look at the seven blessings of Revelation. I'm going to try and keep an eye on the clock. And if we get rolling a little long and about the third or fourth blessing, it's, say, one or two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to let you go, okay? I'm not going to make you hang around for all seven. Amen. See, y'all, I love when y'all laugh. Amen. <laughs> but we are going to try, and we're going to at least start. And if we don't finish, we will finish next week. But one of the things I love, one of my favorite sermons that I preach in the book of Revelation is this message. Because seven times, and if you know numbers in the Bible, if you know anything about how the numbers are used in the Bible, seven is God's number. It's the number of perfection. And so when you read that and you hear that number something seven or repeated seven times, it ties us right into the very heart and character of God. And seven times in the book of Revelation, God makes this statement. The writer makes this statement. God, through the writer, through John writing the book of Revelation, seven times God says, blessed, blessed are you, or is the man, or is the person who reads this, is this, does this, or blessed is this type. This type of person is blessed. Seven times God tells you how you can be blessed in the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but I get up most days and I need a blessing. Amen? And, and, and I love the fact that the book of Revelation gives us seven things to, that we can be excited about the fact that God says he has blessed us and he will bless us if we heed the words of this book. So don't be scared by Revelation. A lot of the theologians through the years have been scared by Revelation. Don't be scared of it. Just read it carefully. And, and if there's something you don't understand, just keep going. Uh, God will give you something that you do. Amen. So don't be afraid of the book of Revelation. We want to talk about the seven blessings. And we're going to start this morning with the first blessing. And if you'll turn to chapter 1 and in verse 3, we find the very first blessing in the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, verse 3, we read these words. Blessed is he, blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now let's back up. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave unto him to show unto his servants, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the things that are going to shortly come to pass. You know, one of the biggest reasons we're confused about the book of Revelation is because one theologian says that the things taught in the book of Revelation are prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Most of them have already been fulfilled, just a few of them pointing to the last days when Jesus comes back again. But a lot of it was fulfilled with the destruction of the temple. And, 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 and then there are others who say, no, uh, virtually none of the prophecy has been fulfilled. It's all still to come. And, and, and we get hung up on that, and, and, and we miss the fact that that the book of Revelation says that these things which must shortly come to pass, and it's been 2,000 years since he wrote the book. See, whatever you believe about the timing of the book of Revelation, the first thing we come away with is the the overwhelming truth that God's timetable is not our timetable. (laughs) Amen? And so he says, blessed is the one who hears the book, reads it, hears it, and then keeps those things. And, and that word keep there, uh, in, in the Greek, it means to treasure those things or to, to think about those things which are written for the time is at hand. So in other words, he, he's not saying here, blessed is the man who hears and understands everything about this book. He didn't say that. He says the time, and he ends by saying the time is at hand 2,000 years ago. And and if you know anything about the Bible, you know when Peter wrote one of his epistles, he said that there are those who criticize Christianity in the church because they said that the time of Jesus coming back was near, and and he wrote his epistle like 50 years after the resurrection of Christ, and there were already people saying, what's taking so long? Well, it's been 2,000 years, and even today the world says that Christianity can't be true because if Jesus is going to come back, why hadn't he done it by now? That's the question I ask, amen? I look at the news, I turn on the TV, and I think, Lord, how much longer are we going to wait? How much worse do things have to get before you're going to come back? Amen? And, and I can't answer that question. And you can't answer that question. And, and, and by the way, uh, here's what I want you to do. Uh, if, if, you, if you hear about somebody else writing a book or putting out a video telling you that they've done the math and they've set the date for when Jesus is going to come back, I just want you to know, and I want you to, get, I want you to know that at least nine other times in history, all right, at least nine other times in history, somebody's written a book or put out a tape or a, or a video in modern times saying that they've set the date. Nine other times that's happened, and so far nine times it hasn't happened. Amen. So, so if at least nine, there may be more, but, but by my count, if, if you hear somebody coming out with the tenth time, please do this for me. Save your money. Do not sell all your stocks and bonds. Don't sell your house and go live on a mountaintop. Amen. You just keep living as if he is coming back. And if he does come back, what a wonderful thing. But if he doesn't come back, no shock, no surprise. Just keep living for Jesus. Amen. See, blessed is he that keeps this book. What I want you to take away from the book of Revelation, this blessing, this very first blessing, is a blessing to understand that Jesus is going to come back, that in God's timetable we are in the end times, that he has finished everything he needed to finish from the standpoint of salvation in sending Christ to save sinful man. Now it's just a matter of God watching and waiting and working and moving in the hearts and lives of sinful men to put their faith and trust in him. Because one thing I know for sure... 
when Jesus does come back, there are going to be multitudes who have not trusted him. And multitudes who will be facing a Christless eternity. And so the longer he tarries, then the more grace for people to trust in him. Amen. And blessed is he that hears this, that reads it, that hears it, keeps it, and treasures it in his heart. For the time is at hand. It's like the old preacher was preaching one time. And, 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 and he, was, he, was, he got real excited. And he was preaching. He said, Jesus is coming. And he got so excited, he knocked his notes off the pulpit. And he didn't know what to say next. So he just shouted, Jesus is coming. And he just shouted again, Jesus is coming. And when he did it, he leaned on the pulpit, and the pulpit broke. And he rolled into the front aisle, and he landed in the front pew, right in the lap of one of the little old ladies in the church. One of the old church members, about 80, just landed right in her lap. Jumped up, said, ma'am, I'm so sorry, please excuse me. She said, that's all right, you warned me three times, you wasn't coming. <laughs> now, I may have messed that joke up, but you get the idea, amen? <laughs> Beloved, Jesus is coming back. I don't know about you, but I want it to be both a mystery and a surprise. And I also want to be expecting it, amen? I want to know that it could happen at any moment, but I also want it to happen in a moment when I'm not, when I'm not expecting it. When I am, but I'm not. Does that make sense? You know how you look forward to something, and you know it's going to happen, but you just want it to happen sooner? Amen? That's what I'm thinking about, about the return of Christ. That's going to happen, beloved. Bless it. If you'll, if you'll, just re- if you'll read Revelation, and, and just from time to time, and if, and if nothing else, just take these three verses and just realize that Jesus is coming back. Amen? Turn to chapter 14 and verse 13. Chapter 14 and verse 13. Here's the second blessing. Chapter 14 and verse 13. And I'll start with verse 12. And then we'll look at verse 13. Verse 12 said, here is the patience of the saints. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. See, the second blessing is the blessing of the dead in Christ. See, I don't know about you, but for the Christian, and I hope you understand this, there are people who don't understand it's a difficult thing, funerals, we say goodbye to loved ones, friends, family members, but for the Christian, death is actually a blessing, because for the Christian, it's a departure from this wicked, sinful world into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed are the dead in Christ from henceforth. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their work do follow. And two things happen when a Christian dies. Two things happen when we leave this world. Number one, we find rest from our labors. Everything we've toiled for in this life, everything you've struggled with in this life, all those struggles are gone. The Bible says there's a, there's a day appointed when the saints shall rest. Amen? In the, beginning of, in the beginning of creation, when God created the heavens and the earth in six days, everybody said, uh, and this is a trick question, I do this, how long, how long, how many days did it take the Lord to create the heavens and the earth? How many days? Everybody says seven. No, six. Well, he's, he's, be- he's better than we think. Amen? 
He didn't do it in seven days. He did it in six days. Seventh day, he rested. He didn't do nothing on the seventh day. Amen? And, and so how long did it? Children, we ask him in Bible school, how many days? Seven days. No, six. And on the seventh day, God rested. And beloved, the Bible says that for the saints of God, and he put it in the law, a Sabbath and a time of rest, and, and we need rest, and we need to take a break in this world so we don't burn out, so we don't wear ourselves out, but then we go back to work again. And it doesn't matter how much we rest in this world. There's always going to be work. There's always going to be struggle. There's always going to be toil. But there's coming a day when the saints will rest from their work. There's going to come a day when we will be in the presence of Jesus. There's going to come a day when all of the, the, the work that we've done, trying to reach a lost and dying world, when all the labor we put into the church, and this is so important, beloved, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Then you rest from your labors. You feel like you're working in the church. You feel like you're laboring. Sometimes the church feels like we're not accomplishing anything. We look at the community, and the community doesn't appreciate us. Or maybe the community just wants to use us for what they can get out of us, use our resources and, and whatever it may be. And as Christians, we feel like we're trying to reach a world and we know it's important and, and we feel like they're using us and abusing us and we get tired of that don't give up don't quit because you're going to reach someone there's going to be the fruit of your labor that the day is going to come when you will be able to rest from your works and, and the bible says the reward will follow you if you quit now if you rest permanently now if you stop working for the lord now then you lose that reward that's waiting for you in heaven Say, I get no appreciation for what I do in the church. You're, you, you, you haven't had your award ceremony yet, beloved. Amen? Say, your day hasn't come. My day hasn't come. No preacher, no deacon, no elder, no Sunday school teacher, no usher, no one in the church has right. Well, no, nobody sees what I'm doing. Well, who are you doing it for? Because if you're doing it for the Lord, I promise you, he sees it. And he will reward you. Amen? Blessed are they who die in the Lord because they're... They will rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And there's a double meaning of that. Their works follow them. Not only the reward, their works follow them, the fruit of those who live in Christ. But when we die and leave this world, everything we did for Christ, all of the things we start, all of the seeds that were sown continue to bear fruit. You need to think about this. You lead one person to the Lord, and then God calls you home. Well, that's it. That's, all I did was reach one person. Well, that's not very much. Yeah, but that one person's still here. And everything they do, now that they've trusted Christ, you have a part in. Did you realize that? Amen? That when you sow a seed, and it, you, you plant a seed for an apple tree, and that apple tree comes forth, and you go, man, look at that apple tree. You're not just, you can't just, you don't just get to look and say, that tree is here because I planted that tree. Every apple on that tree is there because you planted that seed. And then you take those apples and all the seeds that are in those apples and you plant those seeds and now an apple tree becomes an apple orchard all because, listen, you planted one seed, amen? And generations after you took the seeds of those apples and planted more trees and now there are apple trees to the ends of the earth and you're in heaven and you're thinking all I did was plant one little seed but look at the fruit. See, if you, will just, if you and I, beloved, if we can just one person, when we think the world, we're not getting through to the world, when we think we're not making a difference, you just need to realize just one person, one thing, one word, one, and it may be you may not even see the fruit in this lifetime. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, one of the most carnal, corrupt churches in the New Testament, he said one sows the seed. Another one comes along in waters. But God gives the increase. 
And, 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 and sometimes you plant the seed and you never see the fruit of it. Sometimes you water and you never see the fruit of it. But God gives the increase. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Beloved, I, I want you to take from this blessing to keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop. And I'm going to throw this in as a side note. Blessed are they who die in the Lord. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Why? Because they rest from their labors. But the Bible says, the wicked have no rest. The psalmist says there is no rest for the wicked. See, the wicked man will spend his life and consume himself trying to satisfy his wickedness, and he'll never be satisfied. He'll never rest from that. But it, it's worse than that, beloved. And I, may, I think I shared this with the Wednesday night group, and we'll talk about this on Wednesday night when we get to the, the doctrine of heaven and hell. For that person who dies without Christ, all of the passions that they, all of the sinful passions they had in this life, when they die, and they go into a Christless eternity in hell. All of those sinful passions will go with them. But with them will go the inability to satisfy those passions. And one of the worst things to me, beloved, about hell, it's, it's, it's not the fire, it's not the brimstone, if you read and take hell literally, and we'll save that for another time. But it's the fact that in hell, you no longer hear the voice of God. In hell, there's no opportunity for repentance. And in hell, the drunkard will always be thirsting for alcohol he cannot get. The immoral will always be thirsting for an immorality that they cannot satisfy. Blessed are they that die in the Lord. Amen? I, 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 have a, I don't like doing funerals. Funerals are hard. I've only lost a few family members in my lifetime. I've never had a big family, so it's, it's, been, it's a little different for me. I've never had anyone really close to me or friend. I've, but I've, I've lost enough, and I've been there, and I know the grief. But I've seen others go through it and how difficult and hard it is. But one of the greatest joys for me is when I get to stand and do a funeral. And I know that that person was a child of God. Let me restate that. When I know that that person is a child of God. And that they're in the presence of their Savior. Amen? And, and, and the last sermon I did uh, in my last church, um, Brother Fulton was a Christian. He told me, he said, when I go, he said, I want you to do my funeral. Now, we didn't want it to be as soon as it was. Amen. But the Lord called him home. But he told me, he said, when I go and you preach my funeral, you better make sure everybody in there knows that if they want to see me again, they better know Jesus the way that I do. And I want to tell you, there's nothing more exciting than, than, than standing and preaching a funeral and knowing that it's a time of celebration and certainty because we know where they are, and if we have the same faith, we know we're going to see them again one day. But the wicked don't have that. Beloved, don't, don't turn away from Jesus. Don't keep saying no to him. Look at chapter 16 and verse 15. I've got to back up and read verse 14. These are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And in verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
blessed, this third blessing, the first blessing, the entrance blessing of an open heart and expecting and, and looking and knowing that Jesus is going to come back. The second blessing of the dead in Christ, knowing we've trusted him. This blessing is the blessing of those who watch and keep themselves pure, who keep themselves clothed, as it were. He says, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Jesus is going to come back. Jesus told his disciples, behold, I come like a thief in the night. I come at a time when it is unexpected. When I come back, you won't know. That's why it still makes it hilarious to me, all the people that write the books. I know when Jesus is coming back. Then you know more than Jesus does. Because Jesus said, not only does the Son of Man come as a thief in the night, but no man knows the appointed time, save my Father which is in heaven. Amen? Jesus speaking as a man, as the earthly Messiah, as the Son of God, as, as, as God in human flesh, saying that this is a piece of information that even he didn't know at that time and could convey to us. I mean, if they'd have said, well, Lord, tell us when you're coming back, Jesus' response was, I can't tell you. The Father has that reserved. Amen. That's powerful right there. Amen. Well, how does God know something God doesn't know? Save that sermon for another time. Amen. <laughs> No, it's not that God doesn't know something. It's that Jesus doesn't want us to get caught up in looking at times and seasons. Because here's what you and I will do. Do you know, and this is a harsh reality, we've asked the question a lot of times, what would, you, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming back at midnight tonight? And we said, well, run out, we'll, we'll, we'll tell everybody we know about Jesus. We'll tell everybody he's coming back. You know, the sad reality is that the Bible teaches that if we knew the hour, we knew the day that there are a lot of people who, if they knew that he was coming back, that's when they would decide that they were going to change their lives and, and live for God. Sort of a last-minute thing. And then not only that, there are those who are living for the Lord who might take that opportunity to go satisfy their flesh just one more time. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. That's why I say it needs to be both expected and a surprise. And he says, blessed is the one who watches and keeps himself pure. Can I just say to you, and I was talking to my wife about this this morning. If you, if you follow Facebook, you follow the news, recently there's just been a wave. It seems like a wave. I count three, but there's more than that. Key Christian leaders or religious leaders right now that have basically come out and said that they are no longer Christian. They've renounced their faith. These are men that wrote good gospel books and songs and, and, and preached good gospel messages and, and, and that's something we, we have to save for another time and what that means about whether or not they're saved and, and I don't want to get to that, to that right now but, but what's happening right now is we're living in a day when it's becoming so hard to live for God and stay pure in a wicked world that when he wrote this 2,000 years ago he said, blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The longer we tarry, the longer that Jesus tarries, the longer that it takes for him to come back, the more we're going to realize just how sinful a world we're living in and just how seriously sinful it is, so seriously sinful that given enough time, that the longer Jesus tarries and the more the devil puts temptations and worldly things in front of us, the more you're going to see Christians giving into that temptation. 
And the more it's going to become obvious, beloved, that when Jesus saved us, glory to God, that he, he left us with a body of flesh that still needs to be tempered and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Or even the best of Christians can look like the worst of sinners at a moment's notice. Are you with me this morning? Do you understand how I'm, I'm, I'm just, it breaks my heart when I turn on the TV, when I pick up the newspaper, a Christian book, and I read about another Christian pastor who's fallen to immorality, when I, when I read about another Christian who's denying their faith or embrace some weird doctrine or, or, or is, is addicted to something, and I, and, and, I hear, and I hear them struggling and wrestling with this wicked world, saying things that contradict the word of God. And it's going to get harder the longer that Jesus tarries. Amen. In the last days, the Bible says, perilous times shall come, and men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want a teacher to scratch, and I shared this with you before, like a little dog scratching behind his ear, making him wag his tail. Beloved, what we need now more than ever are, are men who will stand behind the pulpit and preach the word of God. And beloved, and I say this, it breaks my heart. I, 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 I really, I, I know that, that when Jesus comes back, I know that when he comes back, when that trumpet sounds and, and the angel shouts, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, amen. And we who are alive and remain, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the, in the air to meet them in the air. With, and forever we'll be with the Lord, Amen. But I know that when that shout occurs and when that trumpet sounds, there will be men and women snatched away from looking at images on a computer screen they have no business looking at. That there will be men and women snatched out of a motel room that they had no business being in because that person they were with was not their husband or their wife. You better understand this, beloved. The devil wants to get us to think that the longer we live in this world, the more it's going to be okay to just give in to our sin a little bit. The more he's going to tell us that you can be a child of God and it's okay, you're forgiven, you're saved, God will let that slide. I told my wife as I was walking down the stairs to come to church this morning, I'm talking about these that have fallen away from the faith. I said, I am so glad that I know that God is holding on to me. Because I know how many days that I so pitifully fail to hold on to him. I know how frail a man I am. I know how fleshly I am. Amen? And I know there are times when I act like I know everything, but I really don't. Amen? And the Bible says that he's holding me when I fail to hold on to him. Beloved, blessed are they who keep themselves pure, who, who keeps his garments. Don't let the devil strip away your righteousness so that all the world sees when they look at you and I. They don't, instead of seeing sinners saved by the grace of God, all they see are just sinners who seem to love their sin more than they love their Savior. Blessed is he that keeps himself pure. That's in the word of God because that tells us that this is something we have to fight for. 
He wouldn't tell us. He wouldn't say, blessed is the man that does this, if it was a possibility not to do it. Are you with me? Amen? It, should, it, 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 it both should and shouldn't surprise us when we see a Christian stumble and fall. What should surprise us is if, the, if they don't get back up again. The Bible says that the righteous man falls, but he picks himself up again. Amen? Though he stumbles six times, he picks himself up seven. Amen? See, I heard a preacher say one time that the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's in the Bible. The stops of a good man are orchestrated by the Lord. And the stumblings of a good man are overcome by the Lord. That's good, amen? Blessed is he that keeps himself pure. Turn to chapter 19, look at verse 9. <clears throat> and he said unto me, write. I love that. He's been saying to me, right, for a long time. I tell you, I got 40, 20, 30. I got all these books I want. I feel like the Spirit's saying to me, right. Maybe this is the sermon this morning. Maybe God's trying to tell me, while you're preaching this, write a book. And he said unto me, right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. The fourth blessing of Revelation is the blessing of those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What does that mean? Oh, man. As a Baptist, that means we're going to get a meal in heaven. Ooh. You want to know what the manna from heaven was? It's going to be there. Amen. You want to know what the milk and honey tasted like? With the, with the grapes of Eskel, Amen. You want to know what they, when they went into the promised land, and, and where the milk and honey flows, where the grapes of Eskel grow, and all that they were promised when they went into the promised land, when we get to heaven, there's going to be manna, milk, honey, grapes, fruit, the best of, I mean, there's going to be a meal spread, a banquet spread. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, a celebration and a feast like nothing eternity has ever known. And it's not going to be about the food. It's going to be about celebrating the fact that we are finally in the presence of and one with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to argue the timing of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Some say, well, this tribulation, curse here, curse here. I don't, I don't care when it occurs. I just want to be there. And I know I am. Why? Because I'm a part of the bride of Christ. I'm going to be there because as a child of God, I'm united with him. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a couple things there. Number one, those of us that are saved, those of us that are children of God, we're going to be there. But not only that, the Old Testament saints, all of those who've been watching and waiting, all those that, see, you've got to realize right now there are people in heaven, they're watching. <laughs> oh, man. They're in heaven right now, and they're watching God set the table. Whoo. That's good. Amen. I mean, they're watching, and they, 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 they don't know. Time's different up there. I don't think they realize it's been 2,000 years. I, th I, think, I, think the table's, I think the table's going to be spread. We're going to eat, and we're all going to be there, and we're going to be talking about what happened. They're going to go, how long was it? I think, I think it's different when you get to heaven. Amen? That's why the Bible says in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. Amen? And, and, and the Bible says that with the Lord, a day is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is one day. Amen? 
And so I think they're in heaven and they're watching the Heavenly Father get things ready. And, 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 they, and, and, and when we get there, we're going to join them. And there's going to be a feast and there's going to be a celebration. Everything that in this world the devil tells us will satisfy will no longer matter. And we'll be sitting at a banquet table, satisfied by the very blessing and presence of God. Amen? Blessed are they who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who get to celebrate with him in that. Chapter 20, verse 6. We're moving pretty quickly now. Here's the fifth thing. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Blessed is he that has part in the first resurrection. I've said this before. I wrote it down. I always like to tell people this. You, you, this, is, this is how we need to look at life. This is what we need to think about this. This blessing of the first resurrection. When does the first resurrection take place? It takes place in one of two ways. The first resurrection is when a dead man puts his faith in Jesus Christ, and inside he's raised to walk in a new life. You're born again. You're given a new life. You're, you're resurrected even though you don't actually feel or see yourself walking out of a grave. That's exactly what happens the day you trust Christ as your Savior. But not only that, the day's going to come when if we leave this world, we're going to be caught up with God in the, in, 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 and we're going to be with him and, and wait for him. And then when the rapture occurs, the graves are going to open. And that, beloved, is the fullness of the first resurrection, that time when all the saints rise to be with God. And, and then there's going to be a tribulation period, and then there's going to be judgment. And, and the Bible says that uh, Satan's going to try and put together an army to fight against God one more time. And God's going to speak by the word of his mouth. He's going to destroy the armies of Satan. And then all the remainder of creation will be caught up before the throne of God. And there's going to be a, a final judgment. There's going to be a great white throne judgment. And all the dead, great and small, will stand before the Lord God Almighty. And whoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast forever from the presence of the Lord. And that is the second resurrection and that is the second death. But beloved, blessed is he that has part in the first resurrection because the Bible says on him the second death has no hold. Look again at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. So this is the quote I was going to give you. Beloved, <laughs> If you're born twice, you only die once. But if you're only born once, you're going to die twice. See, if you're never born again, if the only birth you know is your physical birth, there's going to come a day when you're going to die not only physically, and you're going to be put in a coffin and put in the ground and put in the grave, but the day is going to come when you're going to stand before God, and your name will not be found in the book of life, and you will be sentenced a second time to a Christless eternity without God. See, if you're only born once, you will face two deaths, physical and spiritual. But, oh, beloved, this is good. If you're born twice, if you're born again, you've got your first, here, you, we're all, here we are, you've been born physically, here we are, amen? Don't need to prove to me that you've been born. I can see you, you can see me, we, here we are. But if you've been born spiritually, what took place at that moment canceled all the power of physical death and made spiritual death a, a thing of the past. It canceled all the power of physical death and made spiritual death a thing of the past. See, when you're born again, 
then the only death you'll ever know is the death of the old man as you're made a new man in Christ. That's good, amen? Now, that's the word of God. That ain't me. And, and, and if you want to wrestle with that and you want to be uh, talk to some of these theologians, you want to be one of them, well, okay, I've been born again, but what happens if I die or what happens if I lose my salvation? The Bible doesn't say you can be born again again. The Bible doesn't say that blessed is he that, that, that takes part in the first resurrection because uh, he'll, or maybe the second and the third resurrection because in the fourth resurrection, no. Beloved, there's only two resurrections. You're either alive in Christ or you're dead in Christ. You're either going to stand before God with your name written in the book of life or you're going to find yourself sentenced to an eternity apart from him the gospel hasn't changed the need for the world hasn't changed the need for the gospel for for for, for preachers to stand behind a pulpit for churches to go out into a community and tell people that the greatest blessing that you'll ever know is the blessing of a relationship with jesus christ because that secures you and separates you from any judgment and any condemnation that you would ever know from Almighty God. He bore that wrath for us. Born twice, die once. But if you're born once, you'll die twice. Being born again makes physical death the only death we face. And for some of us, we won't even get that. Because if Jesus comes back, the Bible says, we which are alive and remain will be caught up. Amen. Amen. I was preaching. I heard a preacher say this when I stole this one time. I preacher talking about always getting just y'all to be looking forward to Jesus returning I mean if he does come back the dead in Christ are going to rise first we're going to be caught up with him why are the dead in Christ going to rise first old preacher said they got six feet further to go I don't know about that I don't think that's quite what that means but all right the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain be caught up together with the medium and I don't know about you but I, I get sometimes you get excited but a preacher said I stole this from another preacher he said he gets excited every now and then he just starts jumping because his mindset is the same as, I like this. I like to think that we're jumping and the rapture is going to occur while I'm on the way up. And that will give me a head start over all you that are just out here going, well, he's not coming back today. Amen. I, mean, I want to be caught on the way up, not on the way back down. Amen. I preach. I, we call this rapture practice. Amen. Just get ready. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven and shout, we're going to go to be with him, beloved. I can tell you that all of the chaos and the wickedness and the struggles and the strife of this world the Bible says that there's a far greater glory waiting for us than all of the wickedness and struggles that this life could put on us. And it only comes if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number six, look at chapter 22, verse 7. I'm going to give us these last two quickly. Chapter 22, verse 7. <laughs> Behold, I Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now, this is a little different. <laughs> because at the beginning he says, Blessed is he that reads and hears and keeps or ponders these things. But now he says, Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of this book. Which means that when he reads the prophecy of the book, we live in light of that prophecy. Not just thinking about it, but learning what it means for us. What do we do with it? Well, it means that we live uh, as Christians, understanding that we live in a lost and dying world that's broken, that's still stained with sin, and we live above that. 
And so the sixth blessing is the blessing of those who live in the light of prophecy. We live understanding that God is sovereign over the nations of the earth, that everything that is happening in the world today is happening because God has appointed it. The Bible says that God holds the hearts of the kings in his hands, and he turns them wherever he will. When you look at the world, it doesn't matter what nation you look at, whether they have a king, a president, whether they have a a congress, or however they're ruled, or however they govern themselves, it doesn't matter who's in charge. They are in charge because God has put them there and he is shaping this world and he is unfolding a plan that perfectly fits his will so that when it looks like things are in absolute chaos and it looks like the worst of men are leading the world then beloved that's a sign of one or two things we're either that much closer to the return of Christ or God's getting ready to send another great revival And so when you live in light of prophecy, you understand that no matter what you see on the news or hear in the news or see on the television or hear on the radio, no matter what we understand about this world, that God is still absolutely in control. And then here's the last thing, verse 14 of chapter 22. Blessed are they, now this is the hard one, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Only the blood-washed band may enter. And beloved, I close with this. It is one thing to hear the word of God. It is another thing entirely to do and obey the word of God. Blessed is he, or blessed are they that do his commandments, not those that hear, not those that know, those that do. Our churches are too full of too many Christians who know, and we're not doing anything with it. No, beloved, there's a work to do. Amen? There's still something that God wants from us. And, and when we hear, when we read a book, especially when we read a book like Revelation that is so full of the finality of this world, of the judgment of God and the power and the coming of Christ, then, then now more than ever we need to do what God has called us to do. And that is to be a light. That is to be salt. That is to be his messengers, to be his, to be his ministers. The Bible says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? We take two parties who are alienated from each other and we bring them together so they are no longer alienated because the Bible says that God in Christ has reconciled all things to himself. That God in Christ has reconciled us to him. You and I are reconciled this morning before God when you put your faith in Jesus Christ but there are other people still separated from him there's a gospel the world still needs there's a a savior that sinful men still need to know loves them and died for them as much as they race towards their wickedness beloved now more than ever we need to do the word of God we need to keep his commands and show the world that we're keeping them by the things we do for the glory of God amen Blessed, blessed is the man who takes these seven things all together. And and as we go out the doors of the church on this Sunday morning, we go into the community, we go into the world, and we show the world that there's still grace, still mercy, still love, still hope, still joy, still peace, still promise, still power. Amen. That when the world sees chaos and evil, there's still still righteousness and order 
and it comes from God. Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning. What has God spoken to you about? Which one of these blessings spoke to you? Is there something you need to treasure? Is there some impurity in your life? Is there something of this world that has caused you to forget that there is a day coming when we will be in the presence of God and as a thief in the night and when we stand before him that he's going to reward us and there's going to be a feast and a banquet and an honor given to us. Or maybe this morning it's the truth that it's the truth that he could come back at any time and we need to live for this moment, for this day, we need to show those around us who Christ is and that they can know him and that they need to know him. Is there something, beloved, that God wants you to do with the commands of his word? Then let the Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts and lives this morning. And Father, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. I thank you for all you do. I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you are orchestrating and controlling and moving over all the affairs of sinful men and everything that's happening in this world, that no matter how bad things seem, no matter how wicked this world is, you are still on your throne. Jesus still saves. And beloved, we are still the church of God. Oh, Father. Oh, Father, that we are family before you. And that we can go out and show the world what the world needs to see. For your glory and for your honor. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.